Central Oregon Comics Outreach Alliance. It's the podcast with Ashley, Cameron, Chris, Justin, Matt, and Phil, Central Oregon's comic book leaders. We talk comics, have a big discussion about the Big Bang Theory, and we talk about conventions on this, the second episode of Coco. And now, here's Coco, Ashley, Cameron, Chris, Justin, Matt, and Phil. Central Oregon Comics Outreach Alliance, a.k.a. Coco. (laughs) Here's a mug and t-shirt. So, uh, with that, uh, we've got a nice group of of individuals who are prominent in uh, the comic book uh, industry in Central Oregon. Um, And we'll start off with over here. Who do we have? Uh, Justin Richards. Uh, Just love comics. Been reading them for a while. I'm Matt Funk, and I work at Pegasus Books of Bend, uh, and I've been working there for about five years, and I uh, have been reading comics for about ten years. Uh, Ashley Cooper, I read comic books, and that is a thing that I do. Go to the next person. This is awkward. Uh, Cameron Saunders, manager at Pegasus Books of Bend, uh, for an amount of time that I've done a woeful job of keeping track of. Have worked there in some capacity for the last five years, uh, and I've been reading comics regularly, uh, probably since I was about sixteen. Uh, reading whatever I could get my hands on, as long as I can remember, uh, and uh, yeah, that's all my qualifications. Uh, Phil Rodriguez. I'm trying to start a nonprofit organization that provides children with free comic books uh, for all the awesome reasons that we all know about. Um, and I am here to provide a newbie point of view and ask all the questions that uh, people that are new to comic books are asking, I think. I'm Chris Columbus. I'm the owner of Geek Geek Nerd Nerd Comics, Toys, and Collectibles. Um, and yeah. So. Your name is actually Chris Columbus? It is. My name is actually oh, Chris Columbus. Of course it is. Great. Like the director? <laughs> like the yeah. Director. <laughs> like the genocidal man who, anyway. You, oh, you have no idea what he did to get this spot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> throat. Uh, so we're talking about comics. Um, we talked about several comics so far um, earlier tonight, and... Uh, uh, we've got uh, some new releases that we're going to be talking about. Um, we'll start off with uh, Fables, and I'm going to turn it over to Cameron and Matt on Fables, because I am not caught up whatsoever. I've never so, <laughs> before, before we start on this, I'm going to take a little bit more time um, to indulge myself here. I do want to, uh, <laughs> I want to acknowledge something and apologize. Uh, buddy of mine named Brad Elmore. Was... So all of that having been said, uh, here's a bunch of things that I read that other people said about Fables. No. <laughs> uh, Matt, Fables 150, you uh, have not quite finished it yet? Uh, no, I'm, I'm about halfway through. And um, what's your take so far? Um, so far, I love it. I, I've, there, there's very, very small uh, amounts of Fables that I haven't loved. Um, I actually had a hard time starting it. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand, but the the last time that I remember having been reading a series of anything for this amount of time was uh, the Harry Potter books. And I, when I got when I when as a kid, uh, the last Harry Potter book came out and I read it, and I was just really disappointed for by it. 
and part of that was just because of, you know, I just gotten to a point, like, growing up enough that I was, you know, my critical faculties were a little bit different, and I also, you know, and there's just a, you know, whatever point in my life. Um, and then, so I was kind of the, reading the very last volume of something that I've been following. I mean, I haven't been following Fables from the very beginning, but it's been for, I don't know, seven or eight years now that I've been reading it. Um, and so getting to it, I actually was just like sitting there, like thumbing through the pages for like an hour, not even actually reading it, just like flipping through it and like not wanting to start it because I was just like, like thinking I was setting myself up to be really disappointed in it. But you think it's more like you just didn't want it to end, or you didn't want to be disappointed? Yeah, it was a little. It was a little bit of both. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to get to the end of it and be like, all right, you know, because even if it no is more good, fables, and it ends, and that's almost just as bad. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of taking my time with it. But from what I've read, um, which I got through the main, there's like a main story right in the beginning of it. Yeah, half of it. So to, I don't think this is a tremendous spoiler, but one of the things that shocked me about it is there's basically two. Uh, if not literal conflicts, then from a storytelling perspective, there's like these two conflicts that kind of have to be resolved for the story to end, that, have, that are the things that are built up over the last couple of books. And those are totally resolved to, I mean, I'm not going to say that I was enormously satisfied with the way that they were resolved, but they were totally resolved about halfway through the book, and the, and the rest of it is, which is kind of what I enjoy more so about Fables, it's just fluff, it's just character art. Character uh, beats, rather, just you know, uh, little endings, little moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that and yeah, that's again, I like that too about fables that they've always done um, little short stories, whether it's as backups and individual issues, or they'll have just an, a whole issue that's like an aside going to whichever side character that you never thought would be deserving of a story, um, and that's what they did in in this book too, which is very appropriate is that they yeah like you said they have the, the main story which is great and then they have the rest the rest of it is this um maybe three or four page stories on uh different character different individual characters and the cast is sprawling too this i don't know if you guys have looked at this uh, collection at all but there's a gatefold it folds out like this the, there's a that's, that's like the whole cast right there. There's a yeah, key inside. There's a key too. inside. So every even character. the characters in the far back that are entirely profiled, those are characters from the series. Now are the characters like names, you know, like Rumpelstiltskin and like that you know? And yeah, like like, like um, not all. Like we got a Jin right here who's who's just a Jin, and we got you know we got some some classics. Yeah, just just looking at it, you got the three Morgan Le Fay. We've got. Um, Jack of Fate, we got Prince Charming. Little Boy Blue, Ozma from Wizard of Oz. Geppetto. Wow, okay. We've got the witch who eats children in the forest. Yeah, so you know, basically if got... it's public domain um, for, for fables, it's fair game. Um, and even if it isn't, it's flirted with. I mean, they they all yeah. but kill Aslan. Yeah, the, only, <laughs> yeah. the only really major um, character that you think would be in there that isn't um, is Peter Pan. Um, and the, the, I don't know exactly what the legal things that Disney, legal stranglehold that Disney probably has on it is. Um, and he was actually, this is spoiling what the villain isn't in the beginning, but um, in the beginning, he, Bill Willingham was actually planning on having Captain Hook be revealed as being the, the adversary, which is the main villain at the beginning of the fable story. Um, and it ends up not being him because... Because they, because he couldn't use, couldn't use him. Wow! And it, really? it, it is a different character, but yeah, he. Uh, I'm pretty sure he knew that from pretty early on that he wasn't going to be able to use him. 
It definitely feels easy. very planned what they do go with, but that's really interesting, and I can see how, how Kevin Hook would, would kind of work. And it's kind of odd that you wouldn't be allowed to use. Yeah, I'm not sure of why Peter Pan isn't totally public domain, um, but there is a Peter Pan public domain. It just cannot resemble Disney's Peter Pan at all. Mm. You guys see this Pan movie coming out? I did, oh yeah, I saw yeah I've seen it. Yeah, it's got a black beard and it's Captain Hook is when he was young. They've, yeah, yeah they've got White Tiger Lily, so I have no interest in seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's enough for me. So are you saying that this end issue is actually wrapping up like a storyline that was from 13 years ago? Yeah. No, 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 not, not exactly. Not, not mean, that singular arc. No, that, that the arc series has been going. The series is, um, in Telnet, is no longer true because it's over. Right. But prior to this issue, which is which is an entire volume, doubles as volume 22 and issue number 150, so it is a healthy chunk of reading. Um, prior to this coming out, it had been running for 13 years, and it was the longest ongoing series still going at Vertigo. Anywhere, I think. I mean, oh, maybe. Yeah, we were talking. Well, and I think I'm, I'm, I'd be hard pressed to come up with what it is now because most of what well, Vertigo is doing is a new miniseries. So there's, I mean, maybe Spons. American Vampire, but oh, yes. certainly something outside of Vertigo. Yeah, yeah but I know the Walking Dead can go on for like eleven or twelve years. Yeah, Walking Dead will catch up to it in a few issues here, I think. But the mm. Walking Dead's at one forty-four. Yeah, yeah, one forty-four. But yeah, the. Um, the way that the story is structured over the course of the, the series is about almost exactly halfway through the full run now, uh, right around issue 75, they wrap up what the initial conflict is, and like I said, the, the we talked about this a little bit the last time, but the, the arc of Fables is that all these fairy tale characters have got pushed out of their homes um, and different dimensions where these stories are, are reality. And so they all get pushed out and pushed in, and a lot of them end up in what they call the Mundy world, which is short for like the mundane. Um, and it's supposed to be a real world, New York City is where they end up. And they establish a small community in uh, like a little neighborhood. And then it picks up with the, those characters in modern day, um, having lived here for 100 years or so, I think. Um, oh, well over, I think. I mean, oh, that's right, actually, Because yeah, they, they talk about how they initially yeah. picked that place because it was New Amsterdam, the small farming community. Nobody's ever going to come here. Yeah, that's oh, right, wait, that's never right. mind. <laughs> yeah, so they've been there for a long time and it picks up with them in the modern day. Um, and then the initial conflict is about them um, basically trying to take back their homelands um, from where they are uh, in New York. Uh, and so they're going back to the. Um, the different dimensions and the different uh, worlds where these stories They also have to deal with the adversary coming to this world. I mean, they're... Yeah, like... Sorry. Oh, no, I mean, it's it's not only, oh, my gosh, we want to get back home. It's also, oh, the home that we've now founded, we might lose. Yeah. We have to do what we can to defend all active it. active invasions still have... There's still worlds. They've abandoned their worlds, but there are still places out there with fairy tale characters we haven't met yet, at least in the context of the series, currently being hunted down by this mysterious villain. Um, and the world that they have come to basically is war refugees, uh, our world. Well, that's still on the chopping block. That's still threatened. You know, the, the, this, this person could find out that it exists. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's not an enormous spoiler to say eventually that person does because the, the the story shifts almost genre so many times in how the scale of everything changes so dramatically 
and the, and the story changes gears, and you meet completely different characters. There's basically two major characters um, that uh, you that you are introduced to at the beginning of the series. Um, which again, we talked about this last week, but uh, Big B Wolf, Big Bad Wolf, who's who at the beginning of the story is the sheriff of Fabletown, and. Uh, and Snow White, who I think is basically interim mayor, or she's she the deputy mayor, all but mayor of the of the town, yeah. And um, and so it's the two of them running this kind of scattered, lost community of people that don't want to be here and can't agree best on how to be here. And they, but they end up coming together and separating in ways that are so complex. It's you almost have to compare it to like something like X Men where the cast is so sprawling and the story has been told over such an enormous period of time, but ultimately much more approachable than X-Men because you kind of already know most of these characters. Yeah, that, you talked about them switching genre a lot too. That's one of the things that's really fun with Fables too. Because there's so many different characters and so much source material that he's pulling from, that he uses that to present all these characters in a new way. Um, and in new genres. So like the first several volumes of Fables, the very first volume is pretty much just a murder mystery. Someone, yeah. died, someone dies in Fable Town and then Bigby has to investigate and find out who it was and who, or who killed the person. And then the second one is um, based on Animal Farm. It's actually called Animal Farm. Oh, uh, and it's, uh, basically, and, <laughs> oh it's great. Yeah, and so, Especially and, when all the animals oh, sorry. Yeah, and then the, <laughs> and then the su subsequent ones are there's, a, the, there's one volume that's just a love story. There's one volume that's a uh, essentially a war story, um, all sorts of different genres that he hits on. That's um, awesome. There's a there superhero, a superhero volume. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a yeah. volume where they, um, I, I kind of want to get into this now that the series is over and we can kind of talk about it as a whole. Um, we probably should talk more about how we felt about this specific issue, but uh, you had mentioned earlier how, um, we, we talked a little bit about how it, it does eventually get into almost, uh, uh, like, how to phrase this, it's almost unpreventable with a story like this that you're going to get where you have fairy tale characters coming into the real world where you're going to get into very metafictional territory. Um, and they kind of take it head on in a, in a volume that's called The Great Fables Crossover, where they have a spinoff called Jack of Fables where they've kind of been building up almost godlike concepts of how the rules of this world have been put together. Uh, and then they have The Great Fables Crossover where you are basically meeting people that represent genre and people that characters that literally write reality um, and uh, and and Matt you uh, talked about this is when I really started to consider this for the first time uh, you talked about uh, Bill Willingham at a convention talking about basically pleading for uh, people to demand that um, the major Marvel and DC characters go into the public domain because everything that can be done for them as corporate entities has been done, and only giving them to the world to write can really give us what they have left to, left to contribute. It's starting to look at fables as a way for him to use popular archetypes without stepping on legal toes. And I realized that uh, fables is the most prestigious and incredibly beautiful and complex example you could ever find of a Wolverine Wonder Woman fan fiction. <laughs> really? Yeah. 
I tr I honestly believe that. I, and I don't know that Bill Willingham decided to sit down and do that, but the superhero volume, Bigby does get a very uh, Wolverine-like costume. So I think that he acknowledges at a certain point that he's writing, at, at the very least, familiar characters. Uh, but even if I'm a big proponent of, you know, the, the reader's the final collaborator, and I think that in a world where these ideas, especially fairy tale characters, have been handled so much before you're ever going to get your hands on them. And, 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 and um, in, in, in Bill Ellen's afterward, he talks about how um, these characters are, he's done with them, but they're now going to go on. And I, and I don't know if he, he necessarily puts it out there this literally, but I definitely saw in what he was saying that um, even though his story is over, uh, we're going to continue to add to the mythology of these characters, and he's put so much work into it that his addition is kind of undeniable. And so it's just become a, a part of the mythology of these, of these characters. So they'll, these versions of them will continue on and influence future versions. Um, and that's kind of been cross-pollinated, contaminated, if you will, with you know, characters like Wolverine and Wonder Woman. So I, I do believe on some level, whether it be you know, metafiction or, or, or on purpose or, or uh, uh, subconscious, uh, I believe on some level that this has really truly been 22 volumes of just a romance fan fiction between Wolverine and Wonder Woman. <laughs> wow. And could never have happened any other way, and I thank him for it, because I, I didn't realize that I needed that in my life so bad. <laughs> and one, so with, uh, with these characters coming out into our world, um, is this more like a Roger Rabbit style, where like they're animated and they're real people? Or is it more like Once Upon a Time, where like everybody becomes kind of real? Once Upon a Time is the terrible bastard is, child of fables. Um, I'm not going to lie, I totally watch every single episode. It's a sad, guilty pleasure. You guys already know I watch Grey's Anatomy. Shut up. But... <laughs> well, I've watched it uh, yeah, no, it's... Uh, but, but Fables is the much better version. Fables is... is so much but yeah, they do approach it in that yeah. similar similar vein, where just like in Once Upon a Time, where there are kind of like like garish eccentricities to these characters that you you know, oh well, he's Captain Hook, obviously, so that's why he looks like that. He might maybe doesn't look like a normal person would necessarily walk around in this town, but he's realistic enough that um, with the with the addition of some of the concepts that they introduce in Fables. Um, uh, with like ways that people can kind of hide in plain sight and stuff. You go, okay, this guy does not literally look like the big bad wolf. He's a guy in a trench coat. For, for example, who's the, really hairy. The, do the doorman for Fable yes. is uh, his name Grimble, and he was, was a former bridge troll. <laughs> uh, but they have like whatever spells that all the wizards and witches that live in this community uh, had made to, for him to just look like a person, but he, whenever he wants to, he can drop the illusion and he's just a giant troll. Yeah. Which is part of the, the, the kind of the, the, the power struggle that's dealt with an animal farm is about the animal, because obviously a lot of fairy tales are about the three little pigs, the billy goat's gruff. Um, the three little bears. Things, and even things that aren't necessarily animals, but like uh, Baba Yaga's chicken foot house mm -hmm. that has a certain level of sentience. The old lady the shoe. Things yeah. that are alive that have come to our world for protection that can't be seen out in the open or it'll, it'll blow this entire community uh, and, you know, their cover. So they live on a farm uh, mm -hmm. where the cover is that it's just a normal farm. And... Not all of these animals are there by choice. A lot of them can't simply can't afford what they call glamours, which is you know Grimble uh, has a has a pretty uh, stable job in the Fable Town community, so he can afford to look like a human uh, whenever he needs to. But you know 
Um, one of the first characters you meet is Colin, one of the brothers, one of the three little pigs, um, who is very bitter about the fact that he doesn't just get to be a person. He kind of has to live on the farm. He's a city pig. He's not a farm pig. He wants to chain smoke and hit on ladies. Like, that's, that's Colin's deal, and he doesn't get to do that on the farm. That's a really cool concept. Yeah, it's honestly I could talk about I the series think that as a you're whole. Costing me a lot of money in the future oh, selling for oh. hours and hours. <laughs> it is money well spent. We have an entire shelf on our bookcase dedicated to fables. This particular issue, and I mean, it goes beyond. There's stuff that I haven't even read yet. The series is closed, but there's lots of self-contained miniseries. There's lots of spin-offs. There's an entire novel that's been produced. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a video game. game. The video game is good too. Oh, yeah, so that's right. that's that's Wolf Among Us. This particular that's issue, though. Um, as it stands, if you can if you can call it an issue, and I, I mean I love the way that it embraces multimedia because it's it, it's, it is and isn't a comic book, um, but I really really liked it. Um, so I will say that I, I found that both of the major conflicts that needed to be resolved are basically resolved by saying these need to be resolved, and I had a major problem with that. But resolving them made way for what I ultimately like about fables, which is how can we explore. Um, these characters, uh, and what interesting things can we do with it? And, and by the end of the story, there are so many new characters. There are characters that have had kids, and, and the, the fables themselves, though they are vaguely immortal, have been around for so many hundreds of years in our world that they have grandkids. Um, and so there's an entire prose story uh, that's just like the second generation. Uh, it's one of the children of the second generation of one of the main lines of characters that, that you meet in the book, which may have been my favorite part of the entire issue, is just this like four-page prose story with, I think it's got like a, uh, is it a Neil Adams illustration? No, it's uh, Charles Schultz, I think. Wrong way Charles off. Schultz, really? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say, I love like, uh, No, not the, not Peanuts. Uh, where you are. Uh, uh, well, well, it, yeah. Mark Schultz, Mark Schultz, sorry. Oh. Yeah, and it's just basically a, a, a pro story about, and it's not even from her, this character's perspective, it's just like this, we're suggesting that this is the character, uh, and we're gonna su and we're suggesting to the confines with, with, with which you can better explore with your imagination, which is kind of all of what the story is about, it's leaving you room to explore, very wide gutters, if you will. Uh, and, it, it, and I read it, and I, you know, I, to me, it was this. It was this wonderful blend of like this, like Warlord of Mars style action venue with, but it, but it felt a more like a fairy tale than most of the stories that have been in fables so far. Just in the in the in the kind of like the, the, the three act uh, sort of setup and and a mistake and lesson kind of framing device of it. And I, I loved it. And if, and if the entirety of uh, Fables can exist solely so that I can read this short story about, <laughs> spoiler, Wolverine and Wonder Woman's daughter going off and becoming uh, John Carter slash Craven, <laughs> then I am so down with this entire series. Even if you can work for a conversation, it's worth it. <laughs> and everybody that doesn't is objectively wrong. <laughs> Yeah, Craven is the great single gr okay. Yeah. <laughs> one topic at a time. I will yeah, say. one last thing too, uh, just to hit on in this, is that 
Um, the large amount of Fables has been done by Bill, I mean, Bill Willingham has been the writer through the whole main series, and Mark Buckingham and Steve Lealoa have done most of the artwork, but they've always made room for, like, guest artists and, like, backup uh, stories of different artists, and so this brought back, this issue brought back a ton of people who've done um, different art, uh, different arcs on it, or different short stories, and also some new people, so, like, just in this volume alone, you have Neil Adams, Mike Allred, uh, Terry and Rachel Dodson, uh, Gene Hod, Joel Jones, who we were talking about earlier, Teddy Christensen, uh, David Peterson, who does uh, Mouse Guard, Brian Talbot. Um, yeah, the, the lineup of and artists in here is insane. Two-thirds of those people live in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> we talked a little bit last week about how, you know, it can sometimes be distracting when they, when they change an artist between issues. This yeah. is a single issue that has about 20 credited artists, and yet Fables has always done such a marvelous, marvelous job of um, maintaining a, a consistent consistent artistic vision uh, that even though we're jumping from you know Mark Buckingham to Mike Allred who don't I, I would argue have similar styles they both feel inherently fables um, to the point that some of the Mike Allred pages were the most fables things I've ever seen like it like he did a, he did a few uh, issues of a main series back oh yeah. Uh, and, and they were all, and they were brilliant, and they're not, even though you're like, I'm reading Madman, I'm not, I'm reading Fables, it looks like Fables. I think Mike, Mike Allred has a really identifi identifiable style that oftentimes is what brings you to a comic that he's illustrating. Uh, Silver Surfer by Dan Slott is a great book, it's well written, but it's, it's so different than it would be if anybody else drew it. And I honestly think, after seeing Mike Allred draw Silver Surfer, I almost don't know that I can see it done by anybody else. And yet, here is him not necessarily laying claim, as I think he so often does, to characters that he illustrates in Fables. He's just sort of coming on and just kind of professionally appreciating what they've already done. But just, you know, in that specific way that he does, that's, that's a very comic booky look, but it's a very um, beautiful. Uh, but he makes it very, very famous, especially within the pages of this issue where, you know, you're, you are breezing through lots of different artists, but you never feel like you've been pulled out of the story or, or into a different one, even though you literally have. I mean, there's lots of stories in that book, but it's, it's one read. And that's incredibly impressive. Okay, so I'm going to drop a bomb on you guys with, with a question. Um, <clears throat> so what do you think... Uh, Bill Bill Willingham is trying to say, you know, with with fables as far as through his through his writing, um, you know, like like what's what's the point? What 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 is it he's trying to put across? Do you think it's a reflection on society and race and segregation, or well, there was um, he's actually been pretty clear about the fact that at least initially, uh, Fable Town was a metaphor for Israel. Um, and that's actually brought up in a moment in the books, uh, basically right at the climax of Pyrotarno. The first half of it all leads up to the ending of that initial story, um, and it gets brought up then. And that's basically, and it's essentially what it is. It's yeah. um, a group of people get pushed out of their home um, and then attempt and are still threatened when they get pushed out of their home and then are trying to return. Um, and he did get some flack for that um, because the comic book industry is largely pretty pretty liberal, and he is an openly conservative writer, but the, um, I, at least for me, I never felt that that metaphor in any way was politically informing the book. Um, so, much, so much is just the situation that they were in and 
having sympathy for that sort of situation and of and not that it's necessarily a it has to be a metaphor for that group of people that's happened to any number of yeah. Um, yeah. people over, over history um, and I think at about the time they bring it up in the book where Bigby flat out compares Babeltown to, to Israel I think that was them sort of resolving that idea Bill going well, I, I wrote this story that I set out to do, and I think that after they resolve that arc, it's, it, it, it takes a couple more a couple issues for it to find its footing again, mm -hmm. and then discover what it's going to continue to go on and, and be about. Mm -hmm. But it's capable of being about a, a lot of different things. I don't know, did you have more to add to that? No, yeah, I'm, and it kind of does an interesting thing, too, where the, like we are talking about how there's a bunch of different genres initially, um, and it hits on uh, the, the way the different volumes are set up. Um, and it kind of does the same thing after it resolves that initial in that initial halfway point, where that's where you get like the superhero story, and then the story about the Cubs, and then there's, there's a few different stories that are all very different um, stories that don't necessarily seem like they're connecting to anything, and then they build up to something um, greater, which ends up being uh, something that it builds up to the story about like the. I think the when they introduce Mister Dark, I kind of went. Fables is it's an on, it's an ongoing. They don't know what to do now. They've lost their way a little bit, and you get to volume eighteen, I think, which is Cubs in Toyland, oh uh, which is a, an emotional. It, it's an emotional marathon to get through that book. But by the time I got through the end of it, I was like, "This is the this I, I I'm very sad and angry right now, but this is the best this series has ever been." Yeah, there there definitely is a wall. Um, as far as like the pacing of it goes, um, right after that initial conflict's resolved, um, which is understandable. You've been building up to it for 75 issues, and like you said, it does take a little while to get its footing again, but it's never bad. Like it's always still so much, it's just on. Fables at its very worst is one of the best things on the shelf. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I overall feel like the taste that Fables leaves in my mouth finishing the whole thing is that it is just a story about stories and how stories belong to the people and you can make stories whatever you want and that even if you're presented with one option that's not always um how it's going to leave you and just lots of feelings just lots of feelings but i i think ultimately it's about stories and storytelling and just making things and that, what that, you want and we were talking earlier how i had a hard time starting it yeah and part of the reason that i was able to start it is i opened up and just read the first page the very first page is of um, one of the one of Big Beast um, kids, and mm -hmm. he's older, and he's writing new fables. Who I, I yeah. think is modeled after. Oh, he's hundred percent Bill Willingham. Because when the, in Bill Willingham's <laughs> afterward, it's an illustration of that character, um, and I've always suspected that he was kind of modeled after after Bill. But I, I kind of think that he is like the 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 story sort of ends with this character, right? Literally writing the book fables writing the history of them in the Monday so this this series which is a sort of a less than subtle wink and a nod that again if we're entering into the realm of metafiction fuck you I am this character and this is my life so that's the thing though, he's not just writing he's writing the history of this town that he's his parents are from but he's also writing that I can't read the it's like a Mouse. Oh yeah, it's a mouse story. Yeah, he's, he's writing, writing a children children's book. Maestro Mouse cuts the cheese, or Maestro <laughs> Mouse yes. and Little John. And Little John. Which reminded me of a line in Saga, actually. It's a completely different writer. Um, so I'm not saying that there's any synergy to this, um, but just since we all occupy the same sort of uh, uh, creative consciousness here, uh, 
it reminded me of that a line in Saga where the uh, uh, Oswald character uh, says something to the effect of there's only three forms of high art. One of them is, is children's books. <laughs> but yeah, so that that was that's definitely what it's about because you get to the very first page of the last volume is someone closing the book on these stories, but at the same time these stories creating new ones. Whether they whether that was the intention of when you set out with it or not, it, you know, and for me at least, it's been a huge influence on the way that I view storytelling and the, the way that I probably will end up writing when I write something that hopefully can, you know... Be way a thousand times better than Fables? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, that, uh, yeah, I hope that Fables uh, in some way influences my future work, and I'm sure it will, and I think that was the whole point. That sums it up nicely. I largely agree with the both of you. I mean, the, especially getting to the end volume, uh, I think if it means anything, it means almost exactly what you said, Ashley. Um, characters belong to us, and um, there are, like I said, completely original characters that are that are focal points in this volume, but that are the sum of literally hundreds, maybe thousands of years of. Uh, vocal stories being turned into written stories, being turned into books, being turned into movies, being turned back into books, being turned into comics, being turned into, permutating into this thing that by its mere existence will continue to be part of the bloodline of these stories um, um, forever. So, and, and it, you know, you don't have to view it this aggressively. Like Bill's standing, kind of standing his ground and he's saying, these, these characters and these archetypes, I've done things to them that, that, that can't be undone. And uh, you can too, whatever you like. And in the, in the, in the afterward, he talks about how there's no reason uh, for him to continue uh, writing fables because we've already written so much of what comes after just by reading it. Uh, the prose story, which is about the hunting world, for instance, that's actually three times longer than, than what you read, Matt. You didn't read any of the chapters that I wrote where Predator goes to that world. But they're really good. They're maybe the best part of it. So this is Chris with the Coco. Please don't sue us, Conan. <laughs> we have, we have an A. We got an A and it's more marshmallows than you can afford, carrots, huh? We'll get her back with uh, Coco, the Central Oregon Comic Outreach, Outreach I'm Alliance. Well, I'm Honestly, he was. He, here's the deal. He was 45 minutes late. It was the last signing of the day, and they cut the line off two people in front of me. After I waited, not only did I get in line two hours early, and then he was 45 minutes late. Well, Whedon, we're done. I'm over you. <laughs> You've been crushed, Wesley. Moving on. That's it. <laughs> yeah, what's his uh, board game thing that he does online? Tabletop? Oh, tabletop? here's the deal, though. Yeah. I still like tabletop. Oh, uh, we're not going to start a feud with him right now? Oh, we could totally start a feud with tabletop. I'm you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that Will Wheaton's a great guy, Big Bang Theory notwithstanding. <laughs> you have something against Big Bang Theory? I have everything against Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory is... <laughs> For five yeah. years, on an almost daily basis, people have come into the store and said, well, you must love the Big Bang Theory, huh? Which I can only compare to being a black person and for five years every day having somebody come up to you and go, well, you must love Amos and Andy, huh? It's for the people who know people like that. And then they can go, oh, well, my friend does that. Ha, 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 that's a thing that they do. 
because all the time, oh, Ashley, you're just like Amy Farrah Fowler. That's so great. And like, thank you. Okay, I guess. Yeah, the so most the common thing I hear is when, with, from people in the store is, uh, and by the way, like I don't want to sound like a like this horrible snob. Like if you if you like the Big Bang Theory, that's fine. If what if if the first thing with, that being in a comic book store reminds you of is the Big Bang Theory, that's fine. I'm gonna judge you for it. But. <laughs> But, but here's my perspective. If you're going to come in the store and the first thing out of your mouth is, you know, Sheldon Cooper would love this place, oh. which I hear all the time, the only reaction that I can have to that is, no, no, he wouldn't. He's a fictional character who is not at all made up of the qualities that I see in real people. Uh, and the comic book store that he likes is a two-dimensional set that in no way reflects what comic book stores are like. So he doesn't even exist in a world where you could possibly imagine under what conditions he would like this place because the two have just never intersected over the same space of reality. You guys are missing what's going on here. So these people who are coming up to you talking about the Big Bang Theory, they have no reference of the comic world as a whole. Their one little piece of the whole galaxy is this little show and they want to find some way to connect with you as a person. So like, uh, Except Big Bang Theory, hey, what are you talking about that? I, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't put rest in that, but it, it's, it's, it's only, the, the show teaches you. The show uh, almost ritualistically teaches you the beats with which to speak about it in a condescending mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and irrational and ranty. But ultimately, I oh, you never come off a rational <laughs> and ranty. <laughs> <laughs> I've never once heard you come off a rational and ranty. You gotta like the ultimately, fact you can see a comic book store on TV. I absolutely yeah. don't, um, because it's it's akin to the Simpsons comic book guy. Yeah, it's, less offensive. Simpsons comic book guy. Oh, yeah. Stuart hit it on the nose though. <laughs> he like. With, with this one line that I totally empathize with, which is, yeah, I make about a dollar seventy-five an hour. Yeah, no. I mean, here's the deal. As a comic book store. Owner. There's an entire episode where the whole gag is that chicks don't read comics, and he can't think of anything to sell them because chicks don't read comics. More than fifty percent of my off-the-rack customers are women. Uh, I certainly am glad that they did not see, or perhaps were smart enough to avoid media's perception that it wants to impress upon them that they don't read comics. Um, and it's not just the gender issue, it's not just, the, it's a show written by, I mean, like, okay, line in the sand, Chuck Lorre is a bully. Two and a half men, the whole point of that show is, boy, men are shit and should be made fun of. The whole point of Mike and Molly is, boy, fat people are shit and should be made fun of. And the whole point of The Big Bang Theory, from my perspective and to my eyes seems to be, boy, I don't understand that nerd shit and it deserves so to be So here's what I was on. getting at with, with yeah, what I said. Was, was when a stand-up comic or a comedian, for that matter, um, imitates somebody or, or does a, a personification of somebody, they, they do it out of love, so to speak. I agree. In, in like, you know, for like a celebrity roast, when they do a roast, you know, they're just hammering away on somebody, just one after another after another, dig after another. And, uh, you know, but they do it out of love because it makes people laugh, because it makes people happy. And and that's what I take away from from Big Bang Theory is is it's taking taking these character flaws, like, for instance, Sheldon, um, 
there are flaws within him that I see day in and day out from people that come into the store, from my son, from my nephew, who have some of the same traits as what Sheldon has, or you know, with Rogers and Rogers and ability to talk to girls, and, and so it's taking those character flaws or those character traits and over accentuating them. When I hear the voices that uh, narrate the story, not literally narrate the story, but the vo the, 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 the ideas that, that construct the story, um, it's not funny because it's true. It's not something that I can identify with and that I can admit to and that I can see uh, myself in and, and, and chuckle at. I really just hear the voices of the bullies that I receded into this community to escape. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, I, I watch that show and I feel like television, which is, you know, like like a lot of art is 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 pretty heavily escapism. Uh, I, I try to escape into it and am confronted with, you know, what I'm trying to escape from. And and you know, it's not something that I have to deal with a lot anymore because this is cool and it's in vogue. And also, I'm an adult <laughs> and I have my own home and a job that I go to where everybody else likes this too. So I don't have to face it. Um, but I do think that the people that perpetrated. Uh, uh, this kind of attitude um, are still out there, and they're they're still sneering. And the only difference is now yeah, they're sneering. Yeah, the big is always punching down. I feel like it's never it's never. There's no. Right, I'm gonna quit liking the show. No, I, can admit, <laughs> I can admit that a lot of the flaws that the show has are just inherent flaws of the sitcom format. Um, and so, I mean, if you but so if you enjoy that type of a show, and here's a version of it with characters. That you feel a little more akin to, then by all means, you know, enjoy a show that was made with you in mind. Um, but I feel like even if you're going to deal with the sitcom format, there's there's better examples of it being made in a way that I can kind of punch less holes in. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not a fan of uh, that kind of laugh track comedy in a world where a show like Community clearly can be oh, that conversation. Yeah, that, that went yeah. that went out of time. I got I was a little ragey in the beginning just because it caught me off guard, but you I'm were glad a little I ragey in the whole I thing. I never I here's the deal. I try I try I, that's not a good way to argue and it's not a good way to make my point. So I'm glad that we kinda were able to talk through it a little more clearly. That's that's when for me I've got customers coming through that aren't comic book customers. They're, Period. They're they're not going to come into a comic book store ever, but I get them in through here because they're here for all the antiques and everything else, and so they see my section back here and they they're like, oh, this is like the Big Bang Theory, and it gives us a common ground to kind of talk about comics and talk about you know what's going on. In Do comics. you strike up many conversations with that leader? I try to. If I can, I mean, yeah. if, it, if it gives me a common ground with somebody to be able to talk to them and and then therefore get in with them, uh, then yeah, absolutely. Because I'm the Solomon Comic Club, and then show them what it's really all about. See, then you pointed out though that you have to like deconstruct that it's not really the same. Not really. I I mean, it's uh, you know. When, when you start talking about it and, you know, they're like, oh, that's like on Big Bang Theory. And it's like, oh, it's so much more than that. You know, comics comics are, you know, the reason that we collect comics, the reason that you see it on Big Bang Theory is is for these stories, for the, the escapism and, and getting drawn into a story and, and 
learning about all that character and then finding a comic that you really like and then you've got 500 other issues that, that you can find on that same character. So you've got all of this background, all of this story that you can go into. And so much of an adventure that. learning all of that yeah, as well. Like, I mean, exactly. as a new comic book guy, it's like, yeah, I found out about this one little thing I like, you know. Then I go and I talk to my comic book story guys, and they say, oh, well, check like this, and then you have this, it goes to that. Half the time my head's spinning, but it, is, it gives you that common ground. And, you know, I know a lot of people out there, especially new people, they, I mean, to find somebody you can talk to about something you want to get into, I think it's, I think it's, a it's also hard to know where to start with it comics is, because I mean there's so much out there so and much. it's it's hard to know where to begin, especially because you're looking at an issue and you're like this character's cool. Oh, it's number fifty-seven. Do I need to read all of this? I'm that's, so far behind. Yeah, that's one of the most common. Yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah. problem that a lot of people walk in thinking they have. It's a myth that I try to pull from as many people's eyes as I can because I, I I truly believe if you're going to enjoy a series, you know, the 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 collaborative effort of an artist and a writer, uh, you're going to like that no matter which issue you pick up. I think that comics, by their very nature, are made to be single-serving fun, uh, and I think you know a lot of people walk in believing that. To read Spider-Man, you have to read everything that's come out since Amazing Fantasy 15. I mean, people walk in thinking that Spider-Man started at number one, and whatever number it's up to now, uh, that's the whole run of the series. And that's not exactly the way that, that, that comics and, and comic characters are, their, their publication history is really measured. Definitely uh, not something that's known to new folks. Yeah, but exactly. People walk in with an idea in their mind, and it's not a bad idea. Uh, it's kind of, it's an informed idea. It's based on what a comic cover looks like. This is how this kind of put, go, goes together in your head. Um, uh, but the truth is, you know, that um, it's, 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 like a, it's like a magazine. You know, magazines are going to have number one on the cover a lot. Um, that doesn't mean it's the very first one. But also just because it's not the very first one doesn't mean you shouldn't, uh, you know, like I don't know that anybody's ever gone, oh, I can't get this red book yet. Uh, if it looks interesting, if it has a cover that pulls you in, if you flip it open and you kind of like the language that's being thrown at you, that's, you're going you're gonna to enjoy that, regardless of, of the context. And I think that, Matt, you put it this way uh, last week, uh, if it's like a teacher, if you don't get it, if you don't like it, if you don't understand it, that's the fault of the book, that's the fault of the teacher. It's not the fault of the reader for not having 60 years of, of understanding. It's the fault of the book for not getting that across to you. And I think, especially with superhero characters that have been around for so long, uh, it is the duty of the writer to make sure that you absolutely don't need to, to know that. If I'm reading, uh, like, Grayson, for instance, uh, I might really, really like that, specifically because I've followed Dick Grayson from being Batman's ward through his own superhero, and now he, and then he was Batman, and then and now he's like a secret agent. Um, but I also might pick that up because, like, oh, this book's co-written by somebody that worked with the CIA, and, and um, they know a thing or two about the, the content of this guy being, like, an international super spy. Or I might pick it up because I like Tim Seeley, and this isn't a horror book, which is what he normally does, but I get to see a spin on, on DC stuff. Or I might pick it up because I'm like, well, I like DC, but this character looks a little more approachable because he's not in, like, uh, you know, because his book's in the early numbering and he's not in a carriage coach. So I, I think that... Regardless of your reason for coming into a book, and regardless of the amount of knowledge that you that you have with it, um, if it's done well, uh, you should be able to enjoy it. I think people are very intimidated by that, and it's and it's uh, it's unfortunate because 
I think that most comics do go with that effort to make sure that, that it's, mm -hmm. it's good for new readers. Did any of you guys read the uh, Dark Horse article about, it's called uh, our, or our, Your Own Origin Story, 21 Comics to Get Newcomers Hooked. You guys, any of you guys read that? Mm -hmm. You guys mind if I read off some of these books? Go right ahead. Yeah, yeah, then we, okay. So, Hawkeye, 2012 to present. Yes. Yeah? Okay. Yes. I like that one. I've recommended oh, that to a lot of people. The final issue. The final issue. They said that was my CD. I would read it to start to finish. So good. I've recommended that series to a lot of people, and what I hear a lot of is, uh, oh, I haven't read Avengers, or I don't I don't like Hawkeye. Um, and, <laughs> and once again, like, this is not a book that requires that. And so they put down some of the things, uh, like, you know, he's an everyman, he sticks up for the oppressed people, these are the reasons why. He's the kind of guy who will help you move a couch in the rain. It's the yeah. perfect book not just to, to sell to a person that doesn't have a lot of experience with superhero comics, because powers don't play heavily into it. It's super character-driven. It will give you a flavor of this world, but you will never get to the end and go to find out what happens next. Read, da, 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 da. It's totally self-contained, uh, and, it's, and it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Whether or not you like Hawkeye, I promise you, you will by the end. Bro, bro, okay. bro. Bro, uh, bro. That's mm. all I have to say about Hawkeye. Bro, bro. But bro. which Hawkeye will you like by the end? Oh, ho, ho. Players like three of Bro, them. bro. <laughs> Uh, Miss Marvel, 20, yes. 2014 to present. Yes, uh, yes, so yes. Things, things to like about this one is that we got a female main character. Yes. She's a Muslim, Pakistani American. Yes. She's a teen, and the comic's kind of funny, too. A hundred percent. Also, the art is amazing. Also, if you are this a young girl ever, oh my oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah. She's, well, and the thing that I, I have sold so many copies of Miss Marvel number one by telling parents. And then I, I truly believe this. this is the most accurate comparison that I could make when I had read the first two issues and was really excited about it. Uh, it's Spider-Man meets Beverly Cleary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. Miss Marvel's amazing. Make your daughter read it. Daredevil Volume Two, number twenty-six through eighty-one, uh, about two thousand one, two thousand six. Is that the Bendis stuff? Yeah. yeah. Another example of comic publication being confusing. We apologize, <laughs> readers. <laughs> so, so what we do? So, if you guys didn't hear kind of what just went on here in this little microcosm yeah, of that conversation that. that went really quick, was we all figured out what run of Daredevil that was by the author. The author. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian Michael Bendis. I don't even think that was that. entirely right either. I think that's the, it's that. Those issues that it's talking about, I think, is the um, Kevin Smith stuff, which then Oh, yeah, the, you're right. You're right. right. Which never ends. Well, at this... Kevin Smith starts clerks. Kevin yeah. Smith? Yeah. 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 Oh, Kevin Smith writes lots of comics. Yeah, and they're yeah, great yeah. when he can be bothered to finish them. <laughs> <laughs> I love... I'm a big... I get very excited whenever Kevin uh, does a comic. And then I get Person. less excited. Because uh, how many years have I been waiting for this Batman story to wrap up? Oh yeah. Huh. Speaking of Batman, number four on the list, uh, Batman Year One Hundred. Uh, oh they God. say that's. I love Batman. So they say that this is Finally they put Batman this one above all the other Batman stories, even like the Frank Miller ones. That's yeah. that's really? what they say. They say it's a more accurate depiction of Batman. What I guess think about. That? I agree with that, especially. I think Paul Pope's artwork in that too. He's telling a similar story to what uh, gets told in Dark Knight Returns, um, just because it's old Batman. Because it, it, it's called Year One Hundred, and it's literally supposed to be him when he's hundred years old. Um, and but and that's kind of the same story that Frank Miller tells in Dark Knight, where he's really old and has to use the clunky armor to move around. 
Um, but in year 100, uh, yeah, you, I, I've never been a fan of Frank Miller's artwork. I know that's like comic book sacrilege, but I feel like he's, as far as like, vis time, like visually, he's very inaccessible. Half of the time, it's not Frank Miller's artwork. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Frank Miller scribbles with Barley, somebody else's yeah. artwork over Klaus the top. Jansen. Yeah, Klaus Jansen. Yeah, Klaus Jansen. Yeah. But yeah, so so just visually, Paul Pope, mm -hmm. Paul Pope's miles ahead of where Frank Miller is storytelling wise. The he's just incredibly dynamic and super interesting to look at. And yeah, the it's written really really well. Uh, so you give a big agreement. Yeah, that and, you and, know it, and it's completely self-contained too. You don't need to know a thing about Batman. Nice. Battle Boy too is a good example. It, it written and written and uh, drawn by Paul Pope and is a great example of first of all self-contained. It's one book. They're, they have done a sequel, um, but this is this is the beginning, middle, and end of the story, and it and it you know fits in your hand, uh, and it's kind of a primer on superheroes in a way because they're all really like recognizable superhero archetypes. Um, like this, the, it's kind of like it's kind of about like Thor's son and Batman's daughter. Um, not to push it into that corner, but it's very recognizable, and it gives you a good kind of like feel for a world populated by superheroes. So if it, if it intimidates you to read um, like a Marvel book where there's all these characters and you don't know anything about them. Um, then you can read this where they're all original characters. There's nothing else you have to catch up on But it, you kind of get acclimated to just the mythology of it. And you go, oh, okay, I kind of understand how this works uh, The dynamic of it and the politics of it That's kind of what I like about powers. Yeah? yeah. Astro City is kind of the same way, too What's next one on the list? Uh, Kingdom Come Oh, that uh, well, that's it. a definite must read. Waiting for it. Yeah, it's, uh, so I saw one thing that stood out to me when I was looking at it was the art it just kind of, from what I understand, it's a Civil War story, kind of, basically. I always run. Sort of. It, it, you know, I really, it's it's basically all the Silver Age hope and wonderment coming face to face with, like, the, the 90s anti-heroes. Mm -hmm. um, in a way that it's both, like, like, a meta, like it's the metaphor and the backbone of the story, but it also, like, literally happens in the story. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, re it's a really easy one to hand to people because the art is so tremendous. Alex Ross does... Um, a lot of work in comics, and yet isn't really the art that comics tend to be associated yeah, with. Yeah, looks like painting then. Yeah, and he's done a, a lot of books uh, that are on specific characters where it is like just him painting scenes, and it's like a prose storybook. He's done, I think, Superman, Peace on Earth, Shazam, Power of Hope, um, I had a Batman one and a Wonder Woman one that I can't remember the titles of, that are tremendous examples of that, just that art. Just really that artwork and the yeah. story built around it. Uh, but he's also done a lot of traditional comics. He does Marvels, which is really similar. Um, it's Marvel's not similar. Marvels cover very much like. They're kind I, of companion pieces, but one is a Marvel book and one is a Yeah, if I want to give some, like, I've done this for several people I've gotten into the reading comics. If they want to, like, understand just, like, the absolute core of either the DC or Marvel Universe, Marvels or Kingdom Come, respectively, are just the perfect starting points for both of them. Nice. I think. Because they cover, like, the whole, for Marvels at least, Marvels is talking about the beginning of the Marvel Universe. Um, it's set there, and it's all told through the eyes of the reporter, and who's seeing all these characters come to life in his world the, for the first time. Um, and then Kingdom Come is told through the eyes of a priest who thinks that the world is ending um, because of all the things that the superheroes are doing or preventing, or not preventing from happening. Um, and... So it's they're both they both have like the everyman perspective of someone learning about all these characters coming up for the first time, um, and also 
both cover a very like wide berth of the universes in a really accessible way. I think both of those are, and, and just even aside from that, they're both just phenomenal stories. Yeah, Marvel's, I think, is my favorite way that the Marvel Universe has ever been interpreted. Because Marvel... Well, you don't I, refer me to that when I come in, sorry. <laughs> oh. I... <laughs> See, now you've got me going back to my head going, have I ever recommended it? Because I, I, I try to recommend it to a lot of people. I just, here's the deal, I do my best not to recommend things that aren't in stock, because I hate to have egg on my face when I can't put it in a person's oh, hand. Yeah. I um, but I, I love... Um, Marvels purely because the, one of the things that I really like about the Marvel Universe is that it's really obvious what era most of the characters come from. They really they wear it on everything. Like you have very characters that very clearly come out of the Cold War and characters mm -hmm. that um, that come out of uh, the nineties. Yeah, and they all coexist in this world. And Marvels introduces them at the time that they were created, and so it to just feels it more true. I know you're gonna like this one, number six, uh, Batgirl, Volume One. Nice. The Batgirl of Burnside. Yes. Everybody yeah. agree with that one? All right. Absolutely. I do think that that one gets unfair because there's a there's a whole controversy online about that the cover, the variant cover that they have. Oh, the Joker. Joker. And everyone go and everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people online are very vocal about. Oh, this is like this is a book that's meant for kids. Uh, and I actually hear it says it's not. An and it, yeah, book. and I, that was one of the things that I really didn't understand about the whole controversy is that people were saying, oh, this is a book for young readers. They shouldn't have a cover like this on it. And it never really got brought up that like, no, this is definitely not for young readers. It's presented in a kind of a colorful way. Why would you say that's not for young readers? Yeah, I, mean, um, I look if it's the one that you showed me in hardback. I mean, yeah. I would. I was about ready to get that for my. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think there's anything that's blatantly out of or like blatantly inappropriate necessary necessarily. But it's very much about a girl that's like a college age girl doing things that college age girls would do, which aren't necessarily think like she's going out to concerts and doing things. Like it's not something that I would think that if you were handing it to like a young girl, you'd necessarily be like, yeah, you want to be like that girl. But so like, what's you know, the what do you think the age cutoff for this? Background? I think it's definitely aimed at teenagers. I don't think it's aimed at like younger kids. Sixteen. I, I, yeah, if it was like 16, 14, 15 and up, I definitely. But I, yeah, I think it kind of got unfairly pigeonholed with that whole controversy of people being like, oh, it needs to be. It needs to be accessible for all ages. And See, really I, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm not going to hide the fact that I that I did object to that cover, and I'm not. A, I mean, I, I don't. I think that I wouldn't have had much of a problem with it if if, if DC um, published it. But I definitely supported the artist uh, Raphael Albuquerque's decision to to pull it um, because, frankly, it just undoes a lot of the work that is being done in the book, um, which is like. This is a cover that depicts a character being defined, a female character being defined by uh, pretty heavily suggested sexual violence that happened over 20 years ago that she just can't escape from, apparently, because that is what she has to be defined by, is what men have done to her. Uh, and I think that's not a good decision in a book that is entirely about her recovery from being in a wheelchair. Well, I just took it more as like, more of an homage to, I mean, it was a variant for celebrating the Joker. Yeah, being and I love The Killing Joke. It's a great book, yeah. and it's a it's a Joker variant of, of a Batgirl book, so that's going to be the connection that people come in on. 
Um, and I love Albuquerque's art. All right, number I, seven. Um, Sorry if this is taking too long. No worries. Yeah. Superman Red, or Red Sun. Red Sun, oh, oh yes. Yeah, everybody is in green yes. that yes, way. Yes, 100%. That looked really good, cool to me, just the... Red Sun Superman. If just you, the thought of it. Because I'm you, not a big Superman guy, and they said for people who are kind of turned off a little bit by the Superman, it yeah, gives you a little bit of a different mm -hmm. take on it. So I, Everybody's I intimately familiar with the mythology of Superman, even if you don't like Superman. And for that reason, um, it's, it's, it's fascinating how easy it is to read a Superman story where everything's just changed a little. It's made interesting by the fact that it's not the Superman that you think you know. Red Sun is a great book because it is no better or worse whether you hate or love Superman. If you love Superman, you're gonna get a lot out of this book. If you hate Superman, this is the Superman book you can right, This one, number eight, I haven't even heard of. Uh, it's called Planetary, uh, Crossing Worlds. So I've got the Planetary Omnibus. It's a DC book. Kind of this one, I'm very confident in saying it's not but yeah, Planetary is amazing. Yeah, it's a good one to get yeah. an adult started on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. but that one also is a superhero book, but it's not grounded in, it's actually Wildstorm, I think, is the universe it takes place in, but it doesn't matter. Um, and a good standalone book. Yeah, um, and it's, but it's very much about, vaguely, it, it's the, the antagonist in it is like an evil alternate universe and, universe version of the Fantastic Four, but the, and it kind of, and it very much plays with all these like different tropes kind of in a similar way to like Kingdom Come, or Kingdom Come does um, in terms of like the clashing ideologies of different superheroes and on a very metatextual level talks about like the differences between the Marvel and DC universes, but just on like, even if you're not looking at it on that, in that depth, it's a, just a very good, a very well-written story. Warren Ellis is the writer on that. Um, another one I ever heard of, Blankets, 2003, personal story of heartbreak. Uh, a guy tried to deal with the church, you guys heard of this one? First comic yeah. to make me cry. Really? Yeah. Blankets is great because it does, it does everything that it can to kind of shatter what you think a uh, comic is. Um, I think it's monochromatic, but it's mostly blue, right? It's, it's not like black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so right away, visually, it's, it doesn't look like what you expected to sit down. Uh, it's not really shaped like a traditional trade paperback. It's, it's uh, I don't know if there is a paperback of it, but it's like a, a, a thick, digest-sized hardcover. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's a very human uh, uh, love story. And so who would you recommend this to as a first read? Anyone who's fallen in love before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, that book, um, I read for the first time almost right after, not even like trying to do this, but almost right after I um, broke up with my first girlfriend. And it was like, couldn't have been more perfect timing. And yeah, it just crushed me. But it's such a good, it's such a good book. It's, yeah, if you've ever been, and also, and even on the other part of that story, because it is very much about someone falling in love for the first time and falling out of love for the first time. It's also about, um, like you said, it's someone leaving the church. It's also someone kind of trying to find out who they are on their own outside of the ideologies that they were raised in. Mm -hmm. um, and so also in that token, I mean, that's something that almost everyone can relate to as well, is trying to figure out who you are outside of what your parents told you you were, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, number 10, Saga. Uh, I saw some some of these over there. At uh, Street. Yeah. 2012 to present. It looked like some really yeah. cool art, just some cool things. Yeah, you're uh, just hurting yourself the longer you wait. Lighting! Yeah, so, yeah, the same guy did the white last minute, right? Yeah. yeah. And I and I did put off reading Saga for a while. I read Why the Last Man and I knew that I would like it. And I knew that it would be really popular for a while. 
and it would be a while before we, we had a copy at the store that I could sit down and read. And I could have just bought one and took it home, but I was like, no, 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 I'll wait. And then I waited. And the trouble with that is now I'm on the very like shaky and like weird and unreliable schedule of the trade paperbacks. Whereas if I yeah. was reading the single issues, I would just be able to read it as it came out instead of handing it to people knowing that they <laughs> get to enjoy it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what would the age group be for for Saga? All of older. Ad I mean, it's adults. Um, it's I mean, it's 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 in terms of sexual content and violence, it's. Um, it's very graphic. You wouldn't, you wouldn't the, give it to a kid. What's the first page? Someone getting birth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, yeah, it's the main character to like, open, like, like spread and the baby's coming out of the page at you. Yeah. Wow. But it's also like... <laughs> it's I almost faded when I saw that in real life. It's also <laughs> like a super fun, whimsical story. So if I could, like, it's not... Sometimes when you say this is an adult book, people imagine, like, creature. They imagine, like, it's like a dark. really graphic, yeah. dark... Yeah. Like, first of all, serious and grim are not synonyms. Um, that's something that I always try to stress. So Saga is an adult book, but it's super fun. Um, if you are more somebody who would look for an all ages book to read, if you if you're if you're you know comics, if your funny books are there for escapism, uh, don't count out Saga. And that just about does it for this episode. We go on for about another hour or two about comics and the industry, but we only have so much time, so we'll save it for another episode of Coco. This has been Coco, the Central Oregon Comics Outreach Alliance with Ashley, Cameron, Chris, Justin, Matt, and Phil. Tune in next week when Cameron tries to change our name again. Until then, read more.